Awesome. It's so great to see all these awesome people here tonight. My name is Jory Henderson. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is um, an honor. I get to welcome my really good friend, Lisa Max, and love her so, so much. Um, she has a ministry called Let the Children Fly, and she equips and trains um, parents all over the world, not just parents, but actually teachers and um, all different kinds of people that work with students. But it's, it's really interesting. I went through her mentorship course. Actually, my husband Matt and I both did. And it's funny because it's like, okay, I need to get all these parenting things because I really need to teach my kids how to do all these things. And then I'm like wrecked like through this whole mentorship because God is doing so much in my own heart. Isn't that how it is? Like God does so much in your own heart and then you're able to, to share that with your kids. And it's a beautiful process. So I'm super excited. And she has her kids here too. Can y'all just stand up? I just want to honor you guys. And um, these are her kids. Let's give her a hand. So this is Lauren and Ellie and Hudson and Emma, and they're here. And they live in Redding, California, and they attend Bethel um, Church there. And so um, I'm just going to pray for you. Is that all right? Okay. So Jesus, we just thank you, Father, for Lisa. And I pray, Father, that um, you would give her what she needs, Father. May you flow through her mightily, Father. We thank you, and we just praise you for this time, God, and it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Here we go. Hello, hello. Thank you for coming out tonight. We're going to have a good time. I just already know we're going to have a good time. It's so fun. We are two weeks on a five-week journey. We are leaving tomorrow, I think Thursday, to go to Omaha, and then Iowa, and then up through Minnesota again, and then back into Reading. And so we're traveling, we're, staying at a, we're stopping at a lot of churches at a lot of different places, we're having so much fun, but there's something so sweet about being here that I probably know personally like every other one of you. Like this is family, like this is, man, this is like so fun to see all these, like I know you, like this, this is super fun for me to be here. I just, it, it, I imagine that um, inviting you over to my living room, it just happens to be three states away, but like inviting you to my living room and just sitting and just sitting by the fire and just having conversation. It doesn't have to be a meeting. Let's just have a conversation. Let's just, let's just, let's just sit in the Father's family room. And let's just hear the, what the Father has to say about family tonight. Come on. Come on. I'm all for that. I laughed, though, when, when we were doing pre-service or pre-whatever prayer, and you walked in. I started having flashbacks of the first time I met you. Do you remember? No. Well, you were, let, let, let's just say he was the pastor on call, and I was in crisis. <laughs> you remember? I walked out so full of hope and encouragement. You don't remember that at all? I do now. Yeah, now you do. That's so funny. Well, I just bless you for being there for me back then. That was so good. All right, we, we are going to have a great time tonight. So you already met my babies. They are the ministry. I mean, I, really, I, don't, I don't really have a ministry apart from my four children. It's basically just their life and what God is doing in their life that we have been able to share with other parents. And um, Joy kind of shared the secret when she was talking about it's not just for um, children, but it's actually for Parents, when it says, let the children fly, who are the children? Now, I'll tell you a funny story. It wasn't so funny at the time, but um, I was given an opportunity to be a, um, a children's pastor. And I'm like, yes, I'm all about children playing in the kingdom. I was doing it with my kids and um, felt so honored that they had asked me to do it. And, you know, we were putting on conferences and, you know, we just, we, it was fruitful. Like, we were having a good time. And I hated every, every minute of it. And I was like, what is my problem? And it was down in Denver, so I would drive all the way down there every Sunday. And I just was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I couldn't figure out why. But the dread was so strong for me. 
I ended up quitting. I ended up putting in my notice, and I told the pastor, I said, don't worry, I will stay until you find my replacement. And I lasted two more weeks, and I had to go back in his office, and I said, I'm so sorry, but I cannot do this anymore. And thank you, Jesus, I didn't totally burn a connection there, and they're still good friends of mine. But I had to really sit with the Lord, and I thought, why? What was that? Why did I have so much dread? If this is what I do, and this is my calling, and this is what I do with my own children, and there's so much fruit on it, why did I despise and dread every minute of being a children's pastor? And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, because you're not a children's pastor. You don't have a child's anointing. You have a parent's anointing. Parents are my people group, not children. Because if I can get you, and I can get you to know your father, and I can help you come into an alignment, I've got two generations in one. Come on. How many of you want to go through your life and learn everything that the father has for you, only to have your children have to go through their whole life and learn it all on their own? Why don't we just do it together? Don't you think that was God's plan all along? I think so. Okay, I have been camping out in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is like, Nehemiah rocks. Like, who has read Nehemiah? I am loving Nehemiah. I've been calling him Jeremiah the whole time. I just finally started calling him by the real name of Nehemiah. But anyways, I am going to give you homework because it just would be fitting that I would give you homework when we're talking about parents and children and whatever. But I want you to go home and I want you to read the first several chapters of Nehemiah. And I want you to read it in the context of family. Come on, it, this, this, this whole story is like messing me up. I feel like I'm just getting the top surface of the revelation of what the Father has for me in, in Nehemiah with families. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through a little bit about the story. So Nehemiah works um, in, in the palace. He, he is a cupbearer for the king. And um, he gets word that his, um, his tribe, his people, his family, his region, that they have a city and the walls are still broken. You know, back then the walls around the city were really, really important. And the city um, is still vulnerable. The city is still under attack. And um, they can't seem to build this wall. Come on, there's shame involved. There's hardship involved. There's discouragement involved. And when Nehemiah heard this, he was so broken, he wept. He wept and wept and wept. He wept so strongly that the king said, what's your problem? Why are you so depressed? And he started telling him how grieved he was for his people. And he said, yeah, I want permission to go. I want permission to go back and, and I want to help build this wall. And the first thing he did, come on, you guys, Nehemiah is loaded for you. With, with keys for your family. The first thing that he did is he repented and he apologized on behalf of the other people and what they, they were doing that was not pleasing to the Lord. The cross is the answer for everything. It's got to be a core value in our families. We've got to introduce our children to the cross, and we've got to go there often. He repented and he apologized for what other people had done, and he, and he, he um, got permission to go, and he, he asked the Lord, and he started getting strategy, because for 70-some years, I don't think there's anybody in this room that's 70 yet, for 70-some years, they would build the wall during the day. Come on, I, I don't know, I've never built a wall, but I imagine that was kind of like a lot of labor. So they build the wall, and then the enemies would come at night and tear it down. And they'd get up the next day and they'd build the wall and then the enemies would come and tear it down at night. How many of you would like to do that over and over and over again for every day of your life? Isn't that sometimes what we do in families? Is we go after stuff with our children and it feels like we're going after and it keeps getting destroyed? It keeps getting torn down? 
right? And so he, so Nehemiah, being a man of God, is he asked for strategy. How many of you need strategy for your children outside of man's wisdom? I do too. And so he got wisdom and he said, how about this? We have to keep building. So you all, builders, you stand around this, this wall and you take the, the tools and you build. And you build. And that's your only focus is you just keep building. And you people put your back against these people and you defend and you fight and you protect. And they're building up and they're going higher and they're tearing down the enemies at the same time. Now that's a really good strategy. Let's build and protect at the same time. And I just feel like God just has a message with that tonight with, with families. I want to just highlight here the purpose of the wall was to protect against opposing people. You're putting up a wall because you wanted certain people inside, but you wanted some people not to come inside. Do you have people in your children's lives that you don't actually want them in your child's camp? Do you have people that have opposing views? And, 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 and uh, I'm not saying we're not supposed to be loving, but I'm saying that they, are, they are, have influence on your child that you don't want? Hello? If you don't, maybe your children haven't been outside in the world yet. They're, it's everywhere, and it's only getting more intense. And that group is only, it's, 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 um, it's getting stronger, right? Um, the, other one, the other thing that the wall was to do was to protect against animals. Come on, I just feel like that's so prophetic for demonic. Sometimes there's just animals coming. Animals are hungry to devour. And the wall was there to protect. Your children have an enemy just like we do. And he has one purpose, kill, steal, and destroy. Come on, the wall is there to protect. And the other one um, was against weather. Sometimes life just happens. Sometimes life, we can't control it. It's just called a fallen world. Sometimes life just happens. And this has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight, but I found this so cool. I'm going to share it. Walls include gates. So you had a gate, a wall that you could not go around. Once it was built, you could not go around, but it had gates. Gates are things that we allow in. Gates are things that need permission to be open to allow in. Not everything that we open up or we allow into our families should actually be in our families. Sometimes the stuff that children bring into our families should not be in our families. What if we taught them how to be good gatekeepers? Yes and amen. The other thing is um, they had watchtowers. Come on, sometimes you just have to be so in our game as parents that we can see danger ahead. And if you see danger ahead, your strategy is going to be different than if the, the, the danger is already at the wall. Right? And the third thing, I read this and I'm like, this is like too good to be true. This is amazing. They would build a ditch around the wall so that if they saw, the watchtower saw the enemies come, they could quickly fill it with water. So they had to get through the water in order to get to the wall. Does the water and the prophetic not represent Holy Spirit? Sometimes our greatest strategy with the enemy is to do nothing but to rest or to worship and just invite his presence. We've got to know how to do that. We've got to teach our children how to do that. I'm loving Nehemiah. I hope you guys are too. Um, I'm going to share this little tidbit too. At the end of the first chapter, it's going on saying all this stuff, and there's this one little sentence, this one little verse that stands out all by itself, and it says, Nehemiah is talking, and he says, I was a cupbearer for the king. And I remember thinking, so? <laughs> a cupbearer? I could be a cupbearer. Like, you just held a cup? Like, I don't get this. This is, like, so insignificant. It feels like anybody could do that. 
until I studied what the cupbearer was. Oh, you guys, I don't know about you, but I want to be a cupbearer for the king now. A cupbearer was back then, it was very common to, to put poison in the king's drink to, to take him out. And the cupbearer and the king had such an intimate relationship that if that king doubted what was inside his cup, he would give it to his cupbearer and he would take a sip. And if he lived, the king would drink it. Now that's a whole lot of sacrifice. That's a whole lot of laying down your life. That's a whole lot of intimacy. That's a whole lot of dependence. I don't know about you, but I want to be a cupbearer for the king. I want to be so close to him. I want to be so intimate with him. I want that tight relationship with him. Come on, this is awesome. So Nehemiah gave a strategy. And in our families, with the walls around our cities, is he says we've got to build up and we've got to protect. We've got to build up and we've got to tear some things down. Right? So let's talk for a second about building up the wall. And I sat with the Lord and I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want to say about building up our children? What, 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 are, the, what are the bullet points? What, what is it? And everything for me went back to two different issues. Do you want to hear them? Do you want to hear what these things are to build up your children, to build the wall? The first one is identity. The first one, you've got to know who you are. You've got to know who you are. Children are like a blank canvas, and they're learning at such a young age that broccoli that doesn't always taste very good is actually very good for you. And they're learning that sugar and sweets that taste so good actually isn't very good for you all the time. They're this blank canvas and life and parents and friends and, and, and leaders and everybody. It's drawing on their pictures and they're telling the children what, the way, right? They're, they're, they're informing the children of, of, of what life is all about. Children don't, they're not born knowing who they are. They need somebody to be proactive, intentional, and tell them, this is who you are. Because if you don't do it, the world will. And I promise you, the world probably does not have the same core values or the same vision that you do. Children have to be taught who you are. Who am I? I do a parenting, an online parenting class. And there's one day that we talk about um, how they were parented when they were little. And um, I ask a question about if their parents called out the good in them, if, the, if their parents um, taught them who they were. How many of you were taught as a child who you were? Or how many of you had to figure it out as an adult? I don't know which question you're answering. Anyways, <clears throat> um, so many people in the class, so many of the responses say this. They say, my parents were so good at calling out when I did good. I got praised for A's. I got rewarded for good behavior. I got blessed for, for good choices. And what does that teach a child? It's all about your performance. That is not who you are. You are not as good as your A pluses. Lauren is my straight A student. I never even had to teach her how to read. I was like, this is the easiest thing in the world. She just figured it out. She's in school. She's A plusing it all across the board. And in January, uh, December, the Lord told us, bring her back home for homeschool. And I brought her home, and we did this online program, and I told her, one month, there's grace, because she's learning the program and how to do it online and everything. So one month, don't worry about grades. After that, we'll kick it in high gear. And she started getting Ds. 
she was mortified. She was mortified. And I was like, it's okay, there's grace, whatever. And the Lord started speaking to me. And he said, her A plus is actually getting a D. Teach her that she is okay in Ds. Now I want to let you know, and she's going to want me to let you know if she ended the year with the honor roll. But, <laughs> come on. Children need to know that they're still loved, that they still have worth, they still have value, they're still important, they still have a calling on their life, they still matter, they still belong, even when they're failing, even when they mess up. How do they know unless, we're taught, unless they're taught that? We've got to be teaching our children who they are. I remember my Emma was really young. She's, she's my daughter that would give you the shirt off her back. She's the daughter that, I kid you not, she would have wrapped birthday presents with her name on it, and if her older sister, by a minute, sister would ask for the gift, she'd be like, okay, here you go. Well, I have to, I've had a teacher, don't be so kind. Like, it's okay to have boundaries. And she's that giving. And all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she started stealing. From Walmart, from her brother, from me, stealing cookies, stealing from my purse. Like, it was like, what are you doing? And everything I tried, nothing was getting to her heart. Nothing would shake this. And she came to me one day. She was quite young. She came to me one day, and she's crying. And she goes, Mommy, why did you name me Emma? And I told her the story. And she goes, well, what does my name mean? And I told her. And she goes, oh, I thought my name meant thief. Because she heard somewhere that Emma meant thief. And so she was acting out who she thought she was supposed to be. Calling out identity is so, so important. <clears throat> when do you start calling out identity? The question is actually should be, when do you not call out identity? You call it out at conception. That child has a purpose and a calling on their life before you even get to hold them. If there's grandparents, well, I didn't do that when, I, when my children were growing up. It's too late. Nonsense. There's still children. There's still people on earth. Call it out now. It's never too late to call out identity. Never too late to call out who we are as sons and daughters. <clears throat> when children know who they are, and that canvas is already written for them, when the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy through our thoughts, through unworthiness, through, through our lack of value, those, those lies will have much easier time bouncing off if that canvas is already painted. Does that make sense? Get there first. I, I, I liken it to the sex talk. Now, nobody likes that, right? I mean, I was like, who's like so excited? I'm going to have kids and I'm going to teach them about sex. Like, come on, nobody is like, this is unfun. You know, we have to do it, but it's, it's awkward, right? But if you don't get to them first, the playground will. If you don't tell them the truth about God's design on an age-appropriate level, the enemy will come in there and he will pervert that for them first. And it's much harder to change a picture than it is to put a new picture on there. Come on, you have a vital role in calling out who they are. Um, I'm going to tell you really quick because this is important. I was at this um, conference one time with Stephen DeSilvia, who was our, was our um, finance um, pastor, and he was telling this story about, it was a business story, and he was talking about two different mountains. And he was talking about um, same vision, same financial budget, same strategy, same, like, everything was the same about these two businesses. And he said, this one was like you were pushing a train up a mountain. Doesn't that just reek of all things exhausting? Doesn't that just sound like impossible? Doesn't that just sound like oh, you could only do it for so long and then quit? And then this one over here, the other person was at rest and they were pulling the mountain, or they were driving the mountain, the, the train up the mountain. 
Pushing a train or leading it? Which one do you want? Hello, that's a no-brainer. We're all sitting there in the room going, tell us what it is, tell us what it is. And he said, the difference is, this is an orphan striving and everything up to them and trying to figure out life on their own and me, myself, and I, right? And this one is a son and daughter who knows who they are. And I grabbed a hold of that and I thought, that's not, that's not just for business, that's for parenting. And right after that, my daughters, they just had turned 12 at the time, and they came to me and they said, can we start wearing makeup? Now that's not the question you want to put on Facebook. Should Christian 12-year-old girls wear makeup? That would turn into a war. There would be so many opinions about that, right? Okay. So I was like, Jesus, what's the answer? I don't know. Should they? Shouldn't they? I don't know. Maybe they should. Maybe they're not right. You know, whatever. And all of a sudden, I was like, do the two mountains. So I went to the one and I said, are you wanting to wear makeup as a daughter? Because you already know you're beautiful and you just want to have fun with makeup? Or are you doing it because you need that makeup to fit in and to feel good and to feel beautiful? And I'll tell you, there was one daughter that got to wear makeup and there was another, her twin didn't get to do it yet. Because I would be so wrong to feed that with her and give her that, that part of her false identity. I'd rather bring her in as a daughter and then go out and have the joy of doing makeup. Come on, that's a revelation for some of you. Um, building the wall by telling them who they are. If that's all you do in your parenting, if that's all you do in your parenting, I would say that you are ahead of the game by a long shot. Isn't that what the Father does when we come to him with salvation? Is he starts rearranging and starts telling us who we are. If children already know their worth and their value from the get-go, come on. Connection is the second one. Connection is so important to the Father. Connection is why God sent his son to die on a cross. It wasn't just so that someday we could be in heaven. It's so that we could have connection with him now and today. Connection is so important. Connection with parents and children. Connection with siblings. How many of you have more than one child? Siblings are training ground for raising successful marriages or for having successful marriages. Sibling conflict is a blessing. Sibling conflict is where your child is screaming, I don't know how to die to myself yet. I don't know how to deal with other people that have different personalities. I don't know how to share. I don't know how to deal with somebody that has a different love language. Come on, let that wake some of you guys up. Sibling conflict is important. Because it's showing you where your child needs to grow. Childhood is not the time to expect perfection. Childhood is the time to give them tools where you're seeing their lack of imperfection so that they can be successful adults. Siblings is where children get their sense of belonging. They don't get it from mom and dad. They get it from siblings. So when we go after building this wall by teaching them how to have that belonging and that sense of connection with their siblings, that's important. That is so, so, so important. I remember um, Hudson and Lauren, my, um, I, wasn't, I didn't mean to say your names, I meant to say two of my kids, um, <clears throat> who have had the most conflict most of their lives. It's my one who's my strong, strong leader, and it's my other one who has the love language of words. And so she, he almost never has a problem with what she says, it's how she says it. Because she will just, like, sake to ya and just, like it is. And he's over here going, I need, that to, I need that to be a little bit more softer. You're like cutting me with your tone. 
And the two of them have the most this. And so one time I was like, oh, okay, time to like go in your own room, give, them, give my ears a break, like separate, right? Isn't that the easiest thing to do? Just separate. But maybe that's not always kingdom. And the Lord said to me, he said, don't separate them, Lisa. And I'm like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. And he said, the problem why they're fighting is because they're already disconnected. They're disconnected because they don't have the skills to get along. Don't separate them. Help them connect. So I called him back and I said, what's, what's your brother's love language? Because if he doesn't know his brother's love language, how, is he gonna be, how are they, they going to be able to love? Love is a verb. You don't just wake up and love your spouse. You've got to learn who they are, what their likes are, what their language is, right? Don't you think the same is for siblings? So, so we, we went through the five love languages. And, we, and I've taught them, so I said, what, what's your brother's love language? She was able to share it. What's your sister's love language? He was able to share it. If you can't share it, you can't expect them to love each other. Because love is a verb. It looks like something. And I said, what have you done in the last 24 hours to love each other? And they're both like, nothing? Oh, and you wonder why there's conflict. Can you go through your marriage not giving each other any time or attention and expect everything to be great? There's a verb. There's a verb, and the same goes with children. And so I said to them, I said, okay, now that you guys are reminded of your love language, each other's love language, what are you guys going to do right now to go fill each other's love tanks? And they decided they were going to go play Legos, whatever it was. And the next day, they played for a good three, four hours. And the next day, they were going out for school, and Lauren said to her brother, she said, brother, I sure am going to miss you today. Connection is building the wall. Connection matters. Passionately matters. <clears throat> Let's talk for a second about protecting the wall. I love Philippians 4.6. Philippians 4.6, we know this one. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, pray about everything. And the word that they're using in that scripture actually is the word for begging. Now, you don't beg as an orphan. We beg as a son and daughter that is like, Lord, now, I need you. Like, now. It's like a pulling down, like a serious, I am praying. That protects our children. That, that's, how we, that's, how we, that's how we fight when the enemies are coming with our family, right? We pray. You already know that one. But I feel like there's another side of praying. There's the praying where we're like, Lord, this is what I need. Lord, this is what, what's going on. Lord, and we're telling him. I think there's another time where we zip it. And we just, start, we just start listening. Jesus, you show me what's going on. Show me what's going on inside their heart. You show me what's happening. I'll tell you, when we start, when we start partnering with him in our parenting, and, and um, let me go on a rabbit trail. I used to think... God knit these children together and he hand them to me and I'm mom and it's my job to like raise them and every once in a while I'll bring them involved and like you know ask them to bless something I'm doing or cry out when I'm having a little hard time or you know but I used to think I was you know kind of I don't know that I ever would have said this at the time but looking back this is this is what it was it was like I'm mom like he's he's given them to me so right but that's not the right view of it the right view is, of it is they're his they're his he knit them together for a purpose in this thing called life. I, I look at my children, and, and, and like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think there's a book in the Bible that says, Lauren, Emma, Hatanali. 
Like, like they are part of his story. Like he's doing something with them on earth today that he's in control of all of this. I'm the one that's supposed to be partnering with him for figuring all that out. This isn't me. This isn't all about me. And if we just bring him in a little bit. This is a, what are you doing and how can I get in that? That's a shift of perspective for a lot of people. Um, but some, we need to be partnering with him. I remember the first time um, with Hudson. Um, <clears throat> I remember I, I, the first time I had the revelation of this. I was mad at him because he was making a big emotional mess in my family. He was hurting. And he was acting it out. And, he, and come on. You ever have that time where your kids are going through stuff and they're bringing nothing but chaos in your home? It's frustrating as a parent. I'll admit that. Maybe you can. I'll admit that. It's super frustrating. And I was, I was mad at him. And um, as I was walking down to his room to go deal with him, and I didn't know, you guys, I'm just being honest, I didn't know if I was going to give him, like, the ugly mom scream, y'all thing. I didn't know if I was going to take his Legos away for two years. I don't know if I was going to ground him for ten. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do, because my blood pressure was like this still with him. You know? Sometimes that happens. And um, all of a sudden, I was, half, I was praying, and I was like, Lord, I don't even know where he's hurting. I don't know how he's hurting. I don't know why he's hurting. And I'm not even a boy, so I don't even know how boys are wired. Like, um, and all of a sudden, I was halfway to his room, and I got this revelation. I did not knit him together. You did. This is your son. This is your problem. <laughs> show up quick. Show up quick. I'll tell you the end of the story. I wasn't going to when I first started telling it, but I'm going to tell you the end of the story. It was when his father had just left, and he just became a single family, and he was hurting. And a four-year-old doesn't let that pain come out very straight. And I walked in after that prayer and have this major re- revelation that I'm not alone in my parenting. And I walked into his room and I saw a stack of papers and I said, buddy, I said, I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to crumple it as a ball and I want you to throw it. And he's thinking, woman, you have flipped a, flipped a lid. Because it didn't match what he had just said upstairs, the mess he made with his sisters, right? And I said, but when you make a ball and you throw it, I want you to call out what you're sad and you're mad about with your dad. And this little nearly five-year-old boy went through almost 50 sheets of paper. I'm mad I'm the only boy. I'm sad you don't tuck me in at night. And he kept getting out all that pain. And by the end of it, he's weeping, I'm sobbing. And we got to walk through forgiveness, and we got to ask Jesus where he was. Come on, there's 50-year-olds that have not yet worked through daddy leaving. There are 50-year-olds that have not yet been able to walk through pulling out that heart splinter of, of who you are as a man because of your father's choices. And that four-year-old boy got set free that day from that. But I want to tell you, I didn't do that. I couldn't figure that out on my own. It was about partnering with Holy Spirit. It was about he's in control of it and partnering with him with that. I'm on such a rabbit trail, I have no idea where I'm at right now. But, um, oh, asking Jesus. Yeah, that was what it is. We have to have room. We've got to give room for not being a know-it-all, for not having all the wisdom with our children, but for having a problem. And of course, be a parent, be intentional, use your authority, all that kind of stuff. But there are times we come up against stuff with our children, and we have to be willing to just zip it and go, Lord, you just show me. You show me what's going on with your son and daughter. You show me what's going on. Psalms 139 says, search my heart, O Lord, and show me. One, one um, Virgil, uh, Bible says, what makes you sad? Search my heart and show me what makes you sad. I call it a flashlight. Jesus has a flashlight, and he can shine it in our hearts at any time and show us what's going on. We don't have to figure it out. Let's just ask Jesus to shine the flashlight. Don't we do this all the time? 
We ask Jesus all the time to shine the flashlight. Come on, that's how we protect from what's coming against our families. Um, how many of you hear God's voice? How many of you are intimate relationship and you hear the Father communicating with you? How many of you have one friend, one person in your circle who also hears God's voice? You, that is the best strategy for parenting that I can think of. Where you have a child and there's a mess being made and there's something going on with that child and you've used all the tools in your tool belt and you're like, I'm not getting them. There's still an attack on my child. There's still something to come and tearing down my child. And I don't know what it is. Then you call that person and you gather that person and you say, I need help. Let's listen together. Show me. Show us what's going on. I'm going to tell you the most fascinating story. At, at the school that my kids go to, there was a small list of children that were not doing very well academically, socially, spiritually, whatever, and they were right on the verge of not of being asked not to come back. Come on, that's a hard thing for a child to walk through. And um, we, I was part of the prayer group, and every week we would pray over these names, and there was it didn't appear to be much movement with these children. And it was get, they were making a lot of messes. And one day the leader came in and she said, okay, here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. This is like a last straw. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to change all the names. And I'm not, we're, we're going to call them Sally. I'm not going to even tell you who we're praying for. And we're going to stop praying. And we're going to start listening. Jesus, what do you want us to know about Sally? And the entire room was weeping over the things we heard about what Sally was enduring at home. That's a game changer. We went on to Bob. What do you want us to know about Bob? And the things we heard about the weight that Bob was carrying. It changes the way you parent when you hear his perspective. You know when the enemy is coming. You know when things are coming and threatening your family or your children because you see it in behavior. It's not always up to you to figure it out. The other thing, resolve hurts, lies, and offenses. Let the children fly is, is a big part of our, our ministry is empowering parents how to deal with hurts, lies, and offenses. Why? Because we can deal with childhood um, hurts in childhood so that the hurts do not become adult-sized wounds. We can help them with childhood lies, because children do believe lies, so that they do not become adult-side strongholds. And we help them to deal with offenses in childhood, and they will be offended, so that they do not become adult-size um, bitterness. Um, um, yeah, bitterness. How many of you have, as adults have dealt with wounds, strongholds, or offenses? Chances are it started in childhood. So I liken this to, God's kind of given me this phrase or this, this uh, word picture of a wooden splinter. How many of you have ever had a child that has a wooden splinter? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, you never want to take out the splinter in the middle of public because they yell, they kick, they, they scream, right? And they act like you are cutting off their arm, right? This is traumatic for them. But we are such good parents that we know that, come on, any other wound, you put a little Band-Aid on it and you put some kisses on it and that's it. But when there's a splinter, what do we do? We put pressure on it. We get out the credit card and the license and we're like flicking it, right? That's how you get it out because we know that there's a splinter inside your skin and we had to put pressure on it to get it out. Now liken that to a heart splinter. 
Liken that to a hurt, a lie, or a offense that is stuck inside their heart. Fast forward for a minute. If, let, let, let me go back and say this. So Johnny, go, he, gets a, he gets a wooden splinter on the playground. And mom's on the phone inside, and Johnny comes running through. He says, Mom, 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 Mom. And the whole world stops. She's like, I got to go. And she puts the phone down, and she, all eyes are on Johnny to get that splinter out. That's the ministry of validation. She's acknowledging you are on fire. You need my help. I will put anything down to help your finger. How many children grow up and need a sozo because they had a wooden splinter in their finger? None, because when it pops out, they run off and go play. But if it were physically, humanly possible to have that wooden splinter stay in there for a week, what would happen to that finger? Don't touch. What would happen if it was physically possible for that splinter to stay in for six years? Don't touch my whole arm. Many, many adults have heart splinters in their hearts. And thank you, Jesus, for inner healing ministries and for Sozo and for, come on, that the body of Christ is being empowered how to help adults get those splinters out. And thank you, Jesus, for the work that he's done in my life. I tell you, I felt like I was Humpty Dumpty with my heart just shattered in a bazillion pieces. And God has done a good work. I'm a poster child that my father does good work. But I'm here at my child, our one, one four, and two five-year-olds when, when all sorts of heart splinters came to my family. And it, does not, it did not encourage me at all as a mother. Oh, great. Great. So they get to spend their childhood in pain. And then their teen years, they get, they get to act out that pain and then have consequences for them acting it out. And then in their 20s, then they feel hopeless. And then someday God can redeem that. That does not excite me. That was not encouraging for me. In fact, it made me mad. There's no way I wanted that for my babies. If he's good enough to redeem my life, then he's good enough to do it to a one-year-old. If he's good enough to pop those heart splinters off in my life, uh, older, he's good enough to do it for, for the children. Resolving hurts, lies, and offenses in childhood is one of the best ways that we defeat the enemy that is coming to tear down the wall. Because those heart splinters, the hurts, the lies, and the offenses, and, and let me clarify this, the hurt, they can have a hurt, lie, or offense with God, Jesus, or Holy Spirit. They can have a hurt, lie, or offense with other people. They, kids on the playground, with teachers, with, with siblings. They can have a hurt, lie, or offense with themselves. And the purpose of those hurts, lies, or offenses, the enemy coming to, to, to tear down the whatever, is to, to tear down the wall to tear down their identity and their connection. So you're building it up. You're building up who they are, and you're this great family connecting and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden the hurt, liar, offense comes in. you got to deal with that. It's both. You, t you build it up, and you also deal with where the, um, the, um, the attacks of the enemy. I'm going to tell you a really quick story about Emma. She was, it's all, I got all my Emma stories on tonight. I don't know why, I didn't do that on purpose, but you're an amazing child of what God has done in your life. It's just fun to share. So she was five years old, and we were going to um, Thanksgiving the next day with a bunch of friends, and um, come on, I know that getting four kids out the door is a, big, is a big job. And so the night before, I do all the baths, I do, you know, lay out all the clothes, I've got all my food set up, you know, come on. 
And um, we had something else that morning, and we were going to run home. We were going to change. We were going to grab our food, and we were going to go. And so I'm like, all right, go. Go get your clothes on. And Emma comes up, and she's crying. I hate my clothes. I hate my clothes. I hate my clothes. I'm like, not a problem. Go change. Go get other ones. Come on. We're going to go. And she goes down. She comes, gets another outfit on. She comes upstairs. She's like, I'm crying. I hate my clothes. I hate my clothes. I hate my clothes. I'm like, not a problem. Go down. Third outfit. Go. Third outfit. And I'm like trying to get four kids out the door. Fourth outfit. I hate my clothes. I hate my clothes. My blood pressure's now cooking. Fifth time she comes up. I hate my clothes. I hate my clothes. And I thought, oh boy. Oh, you know when your kids do that stuff and like your skin just kind of crawls, like blood pressure cooks. You know, come on. It's annoying. It's frustrating. And why then? Why now? You've never cared about clothes before. Why do you care about them now? And can I also point out that you're the one picking out every outfit? It's not like mom's making you wear my outfit. You're picking them out, and to boot, you're a twin, which means you have double the closet space of clothes, or choices. Anyways, so she's coming up, I'm hearing her tears, and I'm like, whoa, I'm about ready to give this girl a lesson, and naked you came, and naked you will leave, and clothes do not matter. It was coming, it was right there. And all of a sudden I heard the Lord say, ask her why. I'm like, oh, that never even crossed my mind. So I sat her down and I said, baby, why do you hate your clothes? She's like, I'm not very pretty. What do you mean? Why are you not pretty enough? And my daddy doesn't love me. Hurt, lie, or an offense. It made sense to a five-year-old's mind that the reason why dad's not there is because he doesn't love you. He doesn't love you because you're not pretty. Well, you're not pretty because you don't have the right clothes. That's asinine to our minds. It makes perfect sense to a five-year-old. I want you to fast forward what she would look like when she's now this age, when she goes to school, regardless of my Christian rules. What is she going to look like in the, the clothes she's going to put in her bag so that she can change it when she gets to school? Because her worth and value is in, her, in her, the way she looks. Fast forward when she's married and she's got hidden credit card debt. Because her identity, the world has taught her, is in how you dress. So in there, in childhood, we got to go and we got to work that out. We got to take it to the cross. And we got to ask Jesus what he thought about that. And let me tell you, God did a good testimony that that girl got set free. And clothes are a non-issue for you. Thank you, Jesus. That was a big one. All right. Um, I want to say that sometimes all hell is breaking loose in our homes. Like I just told you, I'm getting ready and everybody's trying to get out for our study school. Do you ever have children that just like to act up, like right in the middle of church? Or like in front of the people you just do not want them to act out in front of? When you're late? When you're trying to get out the door for school bus? Anybody? Sometimes all hell is breaking loose because all of hell needs to be broken loose. So when she came and I'm thinking, now is not the time. It all, when stuff like that comes out like that, in those moments, it's calculated by the enemy to come out in those moments so that my reaction is, naked you came, naked you leave, go. When Jesus wanted to do ministry to this girl's heart that was hurting. And when you feel that all, you know what is breaking loose? That's my signal. <sighs> We're going to be late. We're going to give up Thanksgiving dinner. You're not going to school on time. The world will stop. And we will deal with what is coming out right now. 
Because if there's an enemy coming and it's attacking connection or identity in my house, there is nothing more important than that in my house. Okay, so I want to um, I want to give you, I think you're tracking with me, but I want to give you two word pictures for what I'm talking about, about the enemy, and then, or, or, I'm sorry, about, um, about protecting, and then also about building. So picture your children on a horse. God wants your children, your child, on a horse to go run carefree and gallop in the meadow. That's a daughter, that's a son. He wants you to enjoy the ride. But sometimes the children got knocked off the horse. And how you deal with a child off a horse is different than you deal with a child on a horse. Picture your child on a raft. God wants her on a sailboat. God wants your child to sail far. And sometimes they get thrown into the sea. And we have to know what season we're in. Sometimes we're helping our children back up, and we're defending, we're protecting, and other times we're building up and we're, hel we're helping them to set sail. But you've got to know what season you're in. And it's, honestly, with children, seasons can change by the hour. You can send them out of, out of the house for school. You are loved. You are powerful. You are amazing. You are wanted. You, you, you have a purpose. You can send them out with that identity, and they go through life. They go through stuff on the playground, and they come home, and now there's new things, something, like, something attack, like um, a, a lie coming. Well, we got to deal with that. So we're going to deal with this lie, and then we're going to go back to building it up again. you got to know which one you're doing. Come on. How do you know? You don't always. Holy Spirit knows. Holy Spirit knows. you got to ask him. you got to ask him. There is strength in the boat. There is strength on the horse. But there is vulnerability on the ground and in the sea. You gotta know. You gotta know. You gotta know your season. Um, how many of you, do not raise your hand, how many of you have felt discouragement or have felt like you have, are, are, are battling just major distraction? Don't raise your hand. Just search your heart. How many have just major discouragement? I'm not talking a bad day. I'm talking about like, wow, I'm not encouraged. I want to expose what that is. I want to expose what's happening there. And we talked about Nehemiah. Could you imagine building a wall every single day for 70 years? Discouragement. Discouragement. It's what the enemy does when he's tearing things down. It's okay to feel discouraged. It's okay to acknowledge the discouragement, but it is absolutely not okay to stay there. When discouragement comes, that is the tool, that is the weapon of the enemy, that he's coming towards you, your child, or your family to get you to quit. How many of you have felt discouragement ever? You know what I'm talking about. That is not the time to hunker down and to just let it pass you over. That's the time to get in your game, and that's your time to fight. That's your time to get your verses and to speak them. That's your time to stand on the word of God. That's your time to get your worship. That's your time to fill your moat around your wall with water. That's your time to enter his presence. That's his time to, 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 to go after that. Because hope comes by standing. If we're supposed to help our children with this, 
If this is what's going on for our children, we can't be discouraged like that. We can't have that bite that bullet of discouragement. Are you following me? It's going to be a lot harder to help your child pull out heart splinters, get in the boat, stay on the horse, if we're walking in that discouragement. Um, let's expose discouragement for what it is. It's to get you to, to, to not have hope and to surrender. Does that make anybody mad? I don't know about you, but that makes me mad. I look back just in this last month or so, where times are just this wave of absolute discouragement has come over me. And I see now why he was trying to get me to be so distracted because of what God, is do God was doing or what was coming. I love this story. You know that this is a supernatural story because Lisa does not talk about anything sports or cars. But I heard the story, and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to grab onto that story, and I'm going to share it with everybody I know. This is a great one. Reggie White was a football player. You already knew that, I'm sure. And they called him the Minister of Defense. He was amazing. And there was one particular story where um, he was really good at his job. He was really good at, at um, his, his place on the football team. <laughs> I don't even know how to tell the story. And um, so, so he's, gonna, he's going to make the play. And he plows over the guy that was supposed to be protecting him or uh, coming up against him, whatever. And the guy's on the ground, and Reggie goes on, and he goes, and he makes the play. And he looks back, and that guy's still on the ground. And he gets up, and he marches over to the guy, and he helps him up. And he goes, whatever his name was, he goes, you know, he goes, God loves you. And I love you. But man, you got to learn how to stand. you got to learn how to block. you got to learn how to do your job. You can't be on the football field and not block. Get in the game. Get in the game. You've got to learn how to do this. We've got to learn how to get in the game. We've got to learn how when we're building all these things with our family and we're building our children up and we're building the walls and the enemy comes to attack through the playground, through, through, through life, through, through just living in a fallen world, through, through something that happens. We've got to learn how to get in the game and say, not today. Not today you are not taking my daughter's identity. Not today you're not putting a heart splinter in her heart. Not today you're not putting that lie in her head. And you got to learn how to stand, not manage. We spend so much time in the church today managing. Stop managing the spirit of fear. Stop managing discouragement. Deal with it. Amen? we got to learn. we got to learn when to stop. I remember Emma. <laughs> Bless her. I got all my Emma stories. I did not do that on purpose. God did, I guess. She was young. She was like a toddler. And she, they were in the other room playing. And all of a sudden, I heard this blood-curdling scream. The kind that you get up and go around the corner so fast, you almost wipe out. You know one of those? I'm like, couldn't get to her fast enough. I thought for sure I was going to see a broken bone or blood. And I get in there, and she is wailing. Ah! I'm like, what on earth is going on? She called me a boy. And I remember thinking, well, that's not a reason to give your mother a heart attack, number one. And number two, what in the world? I looked at her. She learned that day how to stand against lies. I looked at her and I said, are you a boy? No. Then what are you so upset about? You should be, they should be crying that they can't figure out who's a boy and a girl. She learned that day 
You can stand against lies. You have to partner with that. You can stand against the hurts. You can stand against the discouragement. You can stand against the, 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 the disconnection. You can stand against that stuff. You have to come under it. Come on, that was a good lesson for her. We've, we cashed in on that one a lot. You can learn to stand over the lies that have been spoken over you. And we can teach our children how to do that. There was a time, you guys doing good? Yeah. Pumping a lot at you. There was a time, uh, oh, come on, I love it. I get to tell this story in Colorado. So we lived down in Firestone, and we were still in the house. We were going to move out to Redding. And come on, I had a lot of work to do. I had a lot of work to get, do to get this house on, um, ready and get us all th moved three states over. And um, there was one particular day I had to paint the top of Hudson's room, like the border thing, because these pictures were coming for blah, 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 blah. And I should have just stopped. I should have just stopped and just rested. But instead, I like to plow through and get everything done, and then I'm going to rest. And it never works that way. Never works that way. And so um, I'm in hyper mode, and I'm like, go, go, go mode. And um, I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I'm all things not pretty. And um, I said, Hudson, did you clean your room? Did you clean your room? Because I'm coming down to paint. Did you get all those Legos picked up? Yeah, 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 Mom, I did. No, Hudson, seriously, did you clean your room? Because I'm coming down. Yeah, Mom, I did. Three times I asked him. I go down to his room, and there's Legos everywhere. You can't paint a room with Legos on the floor. And then I find out that there is clean clothes stuffed in all these crazy places. Like, it would have taken more time to find places to stuff it than it would have just been to hang them up. But anyways, <laughs> and I came unglued. Unglued. He's reading a book right now. If he was hearing me, I came unglued, didn't I? Yes. So... Maybe it's a good thing he's reading a book right now. But I came completely unglued. And he got the vent of everything that I've been feeling, all the overwhelmed, all the lies I've been believing that it's all up to me, all the pressure, all the everything. It's like he just, and to be really honest with you, just for a tad bit of a moment, it felt good. I got a release. I just, and I, I wasn't cursing him, but I was, I was, I was, I, like with swear words, but I was cursing him by saying things like, you always do this, you don't care how hard I'm working. That kind of thing. And in the middle of my vomit, the Lord said, zip it and get upstairs. You know it was the Lord that was speaking because I actually zipped it and went upstairs. Come on, when your mom's going on that, on that roll, it's hard to stop in the middle of it sometimes. So I went upstairs and had my pity party with the Lord, and I was like, no, 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 I'm not all alone. I could have rested. I don't need, you know, I don't need to do this. I can ask for help, blah, blah, blah. Come on, I know enough about inner healing to know that I had sliced my son's heart big time. So I'm fully repentant. I go down. I've got tears in my eyes. And of course, now his Legos are all picked up. And I say, um, son, mommy is so sorry. Ah, that's okay, mom. Don't worry about it. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Like, I've really wounded him. So I make him stand up, put my hand on his shoulders. And I said, no, baby. I said, nobody has a right to speak to you that way. And I am so sorry that mommy said that stuff over you. Mom, it's fine. I love you. We're good. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Now this kid is, like, so full of fear with me. I guess what I thought. So I'm being more serious. I'm crying some more. I'm like, no, baby, it's not okay. And he gets tears in his eyes. And he goes, Mom, he goes, no, you don't get it. What you said hurt me so bad, as it should have. My words were very hurtful. He said, what you said hurt me so bad. But when you started walking upstairs, I asked Jesus. And Jesus said, don't listen to her. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you.
Anytime the father wants to step in and tell my children not to listen to me, I'm okay with that. Anytime my, the father wants to trump what I'm doing or not doing, I'm okay with that. Because I've taught my children that you can catch those lies. How do you know it's a lie? Because it feels nasty. You can catch that and you can ask Jesus and Jesus can tell you the truth. Even when we're the ones doing the hurt. We're the enemy coming to tear them down. Come on, that's good. God wants parents to deal with their stuff. so that we can parent out of a place of wholeness. I want to take you on a quick journey, real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to finish with something. I feel like there is a real need for revelation in the body of Christ with parenting. I, I feel like there, there just needs to be an explosive revelation coming to the church because the enemy is winning in what he's telling parents. How many of you have blown it? How many of you are so well aware that you have blown it? How many of you have a really hard time letting go for a moment in which you blew it? You keep rehearsing that. Do you know that God knew you were going to blow it before he even knit that child together? Do you know that God knew that you were not going to be perfect and he still gave you that child anyways? Because he trusts himself. To work it out. How can a loving father knit together the apple of his eye and his creation and hand them over to somebody who's going to do a really terrible job of modeling perfection? I don't know about you, but if I created somebody or something like that, I probably would pick like the cream of the crop or the best, the elite three maybe on earth. I don't know that I would be like giving, handing over my creation to those that are going to make messes. Unless the father's plan all along was to use those messes, that he was okay with it. It's not license to make a mess, but it is freedom to be where you really are at, on a journey. When the woman was caught in adultery, she knew she was risking her life. She knew that, that stoning was, was the response. If you murder somebody, you know the response. You, went, you go through a red light, you know what's going to happen, right? She knew the consequences. And Jesus did not come in and say that he didn't even make a decision it was right or wrong what she was doing. As he came in and he said, I want to know what's inside your heart that makes you give your body like that to feel okay. When you're angry, when you lose it, when you, when you vomit on your son, when you have these emotional outbursts, when you have anger, when you feel like you're not enough, when you are going through your journey where you know you fall short, the Lord is not just looking at your outward performance. He sees the why. He sees the heart. He sees what's going on underneath it. And he has something so compassionate to say to you about that. And I would bet you that it stems from when you were a little boy or a girl and somebody forgot to build your wall and tell you who you are. And that when there was a hurt, lie, or offense coming your way, there was nobody there to teach you. You don't have to partner with that. And you've got a bunch of parents who are being ra raising children who were never yet taught who they were. 
Yes? Amen? And the Lord is not mad at you for falling short. And the Lord is not mad at you that you are not doing it the way you think perfection is. The Lord is so good. He's the original parent. He's the original father. He knows how to do parenting well. His track record is pretty good. So follow with me for a second. He knits together this child, meaning you, in your mother's womb, and he hands you over to mom and dad and to siblings, and whatever your journey is, we all have a different journey, right? And then he looks at you, and he, he's designed marriage, and he allows you to fall in love, and you get married, and all of a sudden you're bringing the next generation in, and get this, hear this. As he's knitting together that child in the mother's womb, he is not knitting that child in your image, Far from it. He's knitting that child in his image with you in mind. So that he can parent you through your child. Your child doesn't parent you. That's just weird. But he parents, parents you through your child to redeem things that you didn't get back here. I could tell you story after story after story after story of times in my family where there was friction, there was something with me and my children where I wanted to go in and use my parental authority to shut that thing down, and the Lord says, no, baby, this is you. This is you. I'll give you a story. I was a homeschool mom, and I was very overwhelmed and very stressed, and I was being anxious for, about everything. <laughs> and um, so I called recess for the kids so they could go off and play. And um, I nestled into my quiet time chair, and I started having this, this date with Jesus, because he's always the answer, right? Well, that's a good option, go to Jesus when you're stressed, right? And so I'm in there, and I, I heard the Lord say, he said, do you know what you need? And it, just the fact that he even said that, I'm like, I just feel so loved. He just knows me so well. And he says, you need joy. I'm like, oh, I do. You just, you know me. Like, I do. You're so good. And he says, I gave you four bundles of it, and you just pushed them all away. I was like, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. No, 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 no. How many of you know when you are adulting and you are really serious and your life is feeling really stressed, Candyland does not cut it? Oh, no. But when the Lord, you're dating the Lord, and the Lord says, baby, that's what you need. I guess that's what you do. So I went, and I called all the kids back to the schoolroom. We brought out Candyland or whatever game it was. And we start playing, and my daughter says to me, she goes, Mama, are you okay? And I'm like, well, kind of not. And she says, I can just kind of tell you just don't really want to be here. I said, I'm so sorry, baby. I said, this isn't you. I said, it's just me. My heart is so stressed. I said, I just got a lot on my mind. It's not you. I love you. And I said, something silly like this. I said, something like, I just need heaven's joy to come down. And before I could even think another thought, my son gets up on his chair. Joy, come now. Joy, come now. I'm like, what on earth are you doing? Second child gets up on chair, and they're both, joy, come now, and splashing this thing on me. I don't think it's funny. <laughs> we don't stand on furniture. Jesus never stood on furniture. It ruins furniture. 
This is bothering me. This is agitating me. Every wrong spirit is coming out. And I'm mad. I'm mad because I want to be sitting in my chair with Jesus, and he's making me be with these kids right now. And before I could rebuke them, a third child gets up. Joy, come now! Joy, come now! And I'm livid. And I'm ready to shut this thing down so fast. And a fourth child gets up. And my heart is so agitated. And before I could say anything, because I wanted to, I heard the Lord say, now you get up. Absolutely not. (laughs) And somehow I ended up on my chair. And I barely put my hands up. And this thing came over me. This is my before Bethel days. This is before I knew joy was tangible. This is before I knew joy was was part of his presence. This thing hit me so hard, it was like, ooh. And I bellied over laughing, and we laughed, and we laughed, and we had tears coming out of our faces. I think we peed our pants. We were just laughing and laughing. 15 minutes, just nonstop laughter. And I'm not sure what exactly happened that day. I, I couldn't even tell you fully. But I know that more surgery happened in my heart in those 15 minutes and rearranged something in me than probably my quiet time with Jesus. And the Lord has been showing me stuff like that over and over and over again. Lisa, you are not comfortable with joy because in your house it was shut down. Joy was not allowed in your home. Joy made your mother uncomfortable. But that is okay. We can forgive her. But joy is kingdom. The kingdom, the Bible says the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. It's in the third description of what the kingdom is. And if you want the kingdom in your home, you have got to learn to be comfortable with joy. And that's why I gave you four kids so close in age. And I am going to teach you how to be comfortable with joy. One of the hardest things I've ever done is learn how to be comfortable with joy. Well, thank you, Jesus, because joy is fun. But God uses our children so he can parent us in the things that we don't have or that we didn't get. Isn't that a good father? Come on, he's an amazing father. He's not afraid of, your, of, of your, um, the muck. He's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of your mistakes. Not at all. Not at all. He trusts himself in the journey. I want to say this too. Whatever your child is going through in your home because of you, Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have that. I feel sorry for my child that I'm their mother. It's not fair. My child would be so better, so much better off if they would have had him for a dad or him for a dad. Some of you believe that. I know you do because I've dealt with parents all over the world. Do you know that whatever your child is going through in your home, again, that's not licensed for you to stay there? But I believe that's part of how God is using and shaping that child. If my mother was sitting right here, I would say this in front of her. She and I, she's deceased now. We've come a long ways. For those of you that know the story, it was a long ways. I have nothing but compassion and love and forgiveness for her today. She wasn't a very good mom. She made a lot of mistakes. In fact, where the enemy came with hurts, lies, and offenses, she was the one that came with the lies. And it almost took my life out, literally. 
And when I was in a coma for three months, because of it, she died. And when I woke up, she was gone. She didn't do what she was supposed to do. She didn't protect, and she didn't build up. You know how wise and how smart Father God is? Every single ounce of every single story of every single day that I've ever been through with my mother at those hands that were imperfect gave me tools and solutions for parents around the world. My message is just a message to give my mother what she needed. I would think that's a good father. Nothing's lost. I just got an education a different way than I thought I would get an education. It was a part of my destiny. The Lord knew I was going to walk through hard things, but he said, baby, you're the one that's going to turn your generations around in your bloodline. Baby, you're the one that I'm going to use to empower other parents. I don't know about you, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. In my online class, when we ask about parents, there's only, we, we ask, um, you know, did your parents call the good out in you or see the good in you? And there's two camps. There's two answers. There's those that are in my, my camp, and they're like, no, pretty dysfunctional. And then there's over here, and they're like, oh, my mom and dad were the best. They took us to Disney. They're still married. They, like, tucked us in every night. Like, all things great. And then there's always a but. But. And I'm over here in this camp going, really? You wouldn't last a day in my world. How can you complain? What are you complaining about? It's pathetic. And I started getting a judgment in my heart. Every month I would do this class. I could feel that day would come. And I was like, mm, 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 Like, I would feel it in my heart. And I knew it wasn't right. And so one day I started asking the Lord about it. I said, why do I, why am I so mad at these people? Why? I'm mad at them. And he said, Lisa, he said, there will always be a but. Because I've never designed a child to be so full and so satisfied by mom and dad alone. If mom and dad were perfect, they still would have a void in their heart because that void, that space is reserved just for me. So if that's true, that even if you were perfect, your child would still have a lack. How about if we change our parenting to not be all about me and to be all about the perfect one? How about this? How about when I make a mistake, because I am on a journey, how about when I, when I blow it, when I yell, when I'm impatient, when I don't believe the best, when I'm, in, when I'm quick to draw conclusions, right? How about when God works on my heart and he lets me know I kind of was off a little bit there, I go back to my child and I say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I yelled. I'm so sorry I was impatient. I'm so sorry I didn't believe the best. I'm so sorry about this. And we get right. We restore that connection. We build up again. And what if I were to add this? Here's the key. Here's your key. Do you know that Holy Spirit would never be impatient? Do you know that Father God would never not believe the best about you? Do you know that Jesus will always listen? And what if I keep my children intact with the Godhead when I fall short? That is a brilliant way to parent. I strive, wrong word, you can't use the word strive at Bethel. That's like all things bad. You can't use the word strive. I, 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 seek to, I seek to honor the Lord in all I do. And I'm on a massive, big, fat, wide journey. And they don't have to reap 
my stuff. Because I can keep connecting them to Father God despite my stuff. Amen. That was good. Okay. Ministry. You guys ready for some ministry? So family is super important to God. He designed it. He designed that the only way to bring life is through a male and a female. That's super important to him. And the reason why it's so important to him is because God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit are one. We don't serve three gods. We serve one, but they're different parts of of him, right? Right? We've got a son. We've got a spirit. I hope you know that. I'm assuming you know that. Like my son is one person, but he's, he, he's, he's the same boy, but he's a son, he's a brother, and he's right now a reader of a book, and he's completely oblivious to what I'm saying. But he, he, does, he has three roles, but he's, he's the same boy, right? So God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, it's, it's, we worship one, but there's... Right, okay. So that is how he's designed his family, to represent God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. So we have Father God, who is our provider, our protector, and he's the one that gives us our identity. He's the one that creates us to who we're supposed to be. And that's Daddy's role. That's Daddy's. Daddy's on earth, our providers, protectors, and they're the ones that tell their little daughters who they are. They're the ones that tell their sons who they are. That's your job, dads. That's your job. Build up your child by telling them who they are. The daughter that has lipstick everywhere and sings off key and and whatever, and she's dancing around for her dad, and he's like, you are so beautiful. That's your job. And and, and moms are where we get um, nurture and comfort, and and she's our educator. Moms, it's your job to interpret things for your child so that the enemy doesn't do it for them. It's your job to teach them what's going on, what's expected. To comfort them. And that's what Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit's not our creator. Holy Spirit is our nurture. The Bible says it's our nurture, our comforter, right? And then we have Jesus, or we have our siblings, and that's where we get our sense of belonging, and that's our, our friendship, our companionship, our, 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 our uh, did I say belonging? Um, and that's who Jesus is. And so family is mimicked after God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And after talking to parents all around the globe, there's one, there's one complaint especially for moms. There's one number one complaint, and it's chaos, chaos in the homes. Chaos over brushing teeth, chaos over which waffle you're going to eat, chaos trying to get them to bed, chaos doing homework, chaos with schedules, chaos, chaos, chaos. Yes, amen? Chaos. This is chaotic. But I want you to understand this. This is so important. The enemy is so limited. He can't create anything. He's not a creative being. He just takes what God has created and he perverts it and he uses it in a way that becomes destructive rather than to bless and give life. But there's one thing the enemy cannot create, or uh, um, counterfeit, that's the word, counterfeit. He cannot counterfeit um, this thing. Peace. There's no such thing as false peace because peace is his presence and the enemy is not God. There's so many scriptures that talk about peace. Um, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not chaos. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about, for God is not the author of chaos, but he's the author of peace. Peace is his presence. We need peace in our homes. 
so that when we're standing and we're raising our children, we can be so in tune with the Holy Spirit, now is the time to build up, and now is the time to protect. And we need peace. One of the reasons why people are so distracted, it's the enemy's tool so that you're not in peace. Does that make sense? It's okay to be busy for a moment. It is not okay to be busy as a lifestyle. Peace will be the first to go. That should be your first flag. Where I'm not, where I'm supposed to be. Peace is important. Cultivating peace. I used to tell my kids, one child in a sports event at a time, and the rest will learn how to, to serve them or to get behind them. And now that I've got three teenagers, I say, we will do whatever we want with your schedule as long as we can stay in peace. But if all this driving around and running around and all this kind of stuff, we, we get out of peace, I'm not doing it. Because there is no soccer game, there is no birthday party, there is no nothing that is worth not having peace. Peace is a pillar in my home because I'm passionate about building and protecting. I love this. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Luke and he's saying, you are going to go, I'm paraphrasing, you're going to go out and you are going to raise the dead. You are going to go heal the leprosy. You are going to go break off sickness. You are going to go look at demons in the face and tell them where to go. You are going to go and you're going to walk in power. You're going to walk in signs and wonders and miracles. You are going to do the supernatural. That's awesome. But he said, but wait. Wait, 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 wait. Wait. Wait until you are filled of the Spirit. You get to go out and you get to build and you get to protect. But I dare say, you need to be filled by the Spirit. Let's do it. Holy Spirit, I'm not sure what you're going to do right now, but I know you're going to do something. You know, Jesus looked at the paralyzed man and he said, pick up your mat. Well, that's impossible because the paralyzed man is paralyzed. And in the picking up his mat, in the rising up, is when his faith was activated. When Jesus told the blind man to go, he can't go, he's blind. But in the going is when the faith was activated. So I'm going to give you an invitation to get up and come up. To activate whatever Holy Spirit's been doing inside of you tonight whether it's a revelation or whether it's guilt, getting rid of guilt, or whether it's the revelation of rising up in your role. Maybe it's just the realization that you have hunger and you need to be filled. Maybe it's the realization, oh my word, I have exhausted all my strength and I can't keep going on my own. 
Maybe it's the realization that, that your child had been yours rather than his. But I'm gonna, I'm, I want you to get up and come up and let him come and touch you and fill you in a whole new way in your parenting. Take that step of faith to say, I'm going to step into this. I'm going to own this. I'm hungry enough that I want it. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I can't do this, Lord. I can't do this. I can't do this, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 has never denied anybody who has asked for more. He has never once in his entire being history said no. So get over yourself (laughs) and let him give you what he knows you need. I want you to spend a moment and I want you to tell him I want to partner with you. I can't do this on my own anymore. I need more of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. More, Lord. More, Lord. Yes, Lord. I love it. He is releasing revelation. He is bringing things into an alignment. Yes, Lord. More. More, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bring it all into alignment. More, Lord. that you come now with a consuming fire and you burn off everything inside minds, hearts (laughs) memories that are not of you burn it off Holy Spirit I ask that you increase the fire and you burn off everything that is standing in the way of more Every lie about their identity, every lie about their mistakes, every lie about their journey, the hurts that are holding them back, you burn it off now. 
Increase it, Lord. Increase it. There is such a sweet hunger in this room. Thank you, Jesus. I see like the balloon. Just let it go. He's just telling you it's okay. Let it go. Let it go. It's okay. It's okay. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come now and you fill them up. Fill them up with your presence. Peace. Peace is your pillar. Peace. Peace to your mind. Whoa. Peace to your mind. Peace to your eyes. Peace to your nervous system. There's some of you that are dealing with health issues because you've been holding on to this. Healing, come now in Jesus' name. And peace, fill your body, your muscles, your tissues, your back. I feel like there's somebody that's been having radical headaches because you're holding on to the stress. There's going to be peace tonight. Peace to your words. Not only that you speak out, but that you speak to yourself. Some of you have not been very kind to yourself. And it's time that you forgive yourself for being so critical, judgmental, so harsh. You won't put up with a friend speaking that way. You won't allow your child to speak that way. But you speak that over yourself all the time. And that needs to come into an alignment now. Some of you are so hungry to, for your kids to play in the kingdom. You are so hungry for kingdom parenting, and you need to be filled to overflowing. I feel like the Lord showed me before we came in here that there's, there's a handful of you that have a calling on your life for ministry in this area. That this is messing with you so strongly because it's speaking to the anointing and the calling on your life. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you impart... Give them a greater impartation right now of their destiny and their identity. Yeah, there's a lot of you in this room that have a calling in your lives about children, the families playing in the kingdom. It's heavily on this side. <laughs> Come on, Lord. Receive the impartation that he wants to give you right now with your destiny. You are qualified. You are worthy. You are enough. And not because of you, because of him. There are words that have been spoken over some of you that have told you you can't. You won't. It will never. And that needs to be broken right now in Jesus' name. Whoa, that was powerful. There are, there are words that have been spoken over you. You are actually thinking about them right now. 
that as you're trying so hard to receive, you're hearing a tape go off of somebody else. Maybe it's a leader. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a parent. And those wheels are going off nonstop. And you're having this inner battle. I want to receive, but this person doesn't believe in me. I want to receive, but this person said I can't. And I break that off right now in Jesus' name. Those words need to be put at the foot of the cross. That was an attack against you, and that was not from the Father. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing. More, Lord. More. More of your presence. More of your peace. I want you to put your hand on your belly. And I want you to say, peace, I give you full permission to invade my entire being. The peace that makes no sense the peace that does not match my circumstances. But the peace of a good father. Peace of a safe father. We say yes to you, Lord. We say yes to you. And we stand on the watchtower and we say and declare, no, you can't have my child. You can't have our identities. You can't have our worth and value. You can't have what God is doing. Lord, we give you our children. Thank you, Jesus. I feel like he's breaking wineskins in some of you. There, there's some of you that are drinking and you're, you're getting it, and I feel like there is, there's more. I, I almost feel like in the room, like we could end now, but there's some of you that are like, you cannot end now. I have got to have more. I have got to have more, Lord. I cannot leave here the same. It, it's going to be supernatural. It isn't about you. It is about receiving what only he can do. And we just give it to you, Lord, and we just say, take over. What is it, Lord, that you want to do right now? More, Lord. More. Some of you have been so hungry for so long, you are starving. And that's a great place to be. Part of the reason why you're starving is because he has kept you and you are not feeding on other things that actually are, are going to be harmful and hurtful. But you have been in this place of holy dissatisfaction, this place of knowing that there's more. Come on, stewarding that place is a hard place to steward. 
You have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for him to touch you and to fill you and to feed you. Yes, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. More. More. More of your fire, Lord. More, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. More. More, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. You have permission to receive all that the Father has for you. Permission. Whoa. There's a revelation tonight that the good news is too good to be true. <laughs> it's too good. Yep, it's too good. The God of the universe, the God that said, let there be light and there's light, the God that owns all the storehouse, the God that brings life into the world like that, the God of Adam and Eve, the God who sent his son and raised his son from the dead, from, from, from death, is the one that wants to partner with you. too good to be true. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We say yes, Lord. He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for your track record. He's not looking for what you can do. He's looking for a yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Who is willing to say yes? Give him your yes. You don't give corporate yeses, you give individual yeses. Yes, Lord. Mm. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. There are parents in this room that are going to be raising doctors who are going to save a life in the medical field. There are children represented in this room that are going to bring people into the kingdom. That matters to the Father. There are people, children in this room, I'm sorry, parents in this room who are raising children that will be the teachers of the next generation. 
There are at least three or four parents on the planet today raising the next president of the United States of America. Leaders of businesses. Children that are going to go into warfare. Children that are going to have answers for pornography. Children that are going to have answers to the sex industry. They're going to have answers to alcohol. They're going to have answers to the things that the enemy is doing on earth today. It's this next generation that God is calling. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. And he's looking for parents who are willing to get over their, their, their journey, or get whatever happened to them. And he's looking for parents that say, that's not fair what I've been through, but you can redeem all things, and I want something different for the next generation. Yes, Lord. If you need to go, there's freedom to go. We bless you. If the Lord is doing something, I just encourage you, let him finish it. I'm going to pray over you, though, specifically, or declare over you that as you leave tonight, whenever that time is, that your ride home would be filled with worship, that you would worship the King of Kings that is calling you into something deeper. And I pray for your dreams tonight. Put a journal and a pen by your bed. And the moment you wake up in the morning, Don't say, I didn't dream. Say, what did I dream? The Lord is going to speak to some of you profoundly tonight in your dreams. Even if you don't understand it, write it down. Write it down. I bless these parents. I bless them for their yes, for their willingness to do hard things, for their hunger for you in a world that's being filled up by everything imaginable. I thank you for what you're doing, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. I just want to say one thing, and I just told Lisa she can minister as long as she feels like she needs to. Um, it always intrigues me when uh, you hear a, a reoccurring theme. And actually, the thing you said about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, Father, God being a provider, protector, um, Holy Spirit being nurturer, and Jesus being like that brethren. I talked about that this weekend, this last weekend. That, like, I just touched on that this last weekend. And so my, my alarms were kind of going off. But one of, our, one of the main things we want to build City Lights Church on is that it would feel like a family. And I knew that was super important because we wanted to invite people into something they can be part of that's, you know, a family. We didn't want to just be an organization. We wanted to be, feel like they belong in a family. 
but we knew that was important, but I didn't necessarily know how to build that. But I feel like just tonight it clicked. Like, I know how to build it now. Like, we need fathers, we need mothers, and we need to be a brother. And, you know, it's not just like, hey, come to church, we're going to be nice to each other, and that's how we're going to be family. Like, um, we're going to do this because we're going to build fathers, we're going to build mothers, and we're going we're gonna to focus on being um, accepting to one another. And so I feel like I have a strategy to make this the, a God kind of family now. So that's really awesome. So thank you for saying that and repeating that. Um, it was really cool.